These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. <clears throat> Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are <coughs> prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. <clears throat> For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Amen. The second reading is from John 14, starting at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Amen. Well, this week we had distressing news uh, from the English Channel. 
news of uh, 27 refugees, including children and a pregnant woman drowned, having risked everything in a desperate search for a new life. And this is yet another reminder of the, the people displacement that continues to be part of our world. Uh, and, and this is people displacement that occurs as a result of violence and exploitation. Uh, I would share with many others uh, a revulsion at the language of describing such people as migrants, as if they, they are choosing this uh, in, in a neutral situation. These are people who are desperate for a new life. And it is my firm belief that our society should be a place where the refugee finds welcome and support. And it is also my firm belief that as Christians, our scriptures offer us ample justification for arguing that this should be the case, that the refugee should be welcomed and supported. As we begin the season of Advent this week, we will be addressing today the theme of hope. The title of this sermon is The Gift of Hope. And I think we are called to hope for a better world, to hope for a country where strangers are made welcome, to hope for communities where generosity displaces selfish motives and ambitions and where inclusion displaces prejudice. And for that hope to become within us a deep longing which drives us in our actions and our interactions to be part of creating the world in which we long to live. The answer to our prayers, to an extent, begins with us. And if you, like me, found yourself horrified and appalled that people should die like this within sight of our shores, then we need to be asking ourselves what we're going to do about it. What actions can we take to build a world where the outcome for refugees seeking a new life away from war is not death in the English Channel? As a church, we are a key member of the West End Welcome Project. And I know that many of you have been praying for Fatima and Amina over the last couple of years since they arrived with us from the refugee camp in Iraq where they had spent the previous 12 years having had to flee their home in Damascus because of war. I know also that many of you have provided practical support for them during this time too. And we should not underestimate the impact of our welcome and generosity on those who have come to our part of London in this way. And we will continue to welcome and support others in similar ways. The welcoming and integration of refugees into our society through community schemes such as West End Welcome not only helps the refugees themselves, but it also builds a culture of acceptance, of generosity, from which we all benefit. Because if you can shape the world differently in a small way, 
that contributes to shaping the world differently in wider and larger ways. But of course, small-scale acts of assistance, significant though they are, are only part of a bigger picture. From our voting decisions in local and national elections to our engagement with charities and NGOs that advocate for refugee rights, there are many ways we can seek the welfare of those who have been exiled to our city. Which brings me to Jeremiah and to an ancient but compelling, con compellingly contemporary story of exile, people displacement, refugees, war and violence. And of course to the question of where God is to be found in the middle of it all. Our reading today from the book of the prophet Jeremiah picks up the story of Israel's history some 100 years or so on from last week's reading from Isaiah chapter 9. We saw, if you were with us last week, how Isaiah created Israel's messianic expectation, the hope that one would come who would solve all of Israel's political and economic problems. Well, if Isaiah had seen that the writing was on the wall for Jerusalem and its temple, by the time of Jeremiah, those walls had come tumbling down. Jeremiah was a prophet living in Jerusalem, and he witnessed the destruction of his city at the hands of the Babylonians. What had happened was that in 597 BCE, the army of King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Jerusalem and had carried off uh, into exile the newly crowned Israelite King Jehoiakim, along with a whole bunch of other nobles and prophets, including Ezekiel and other elite members of the Jerusalem establishment. And in place of King Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar had installed a puppet king called Zedekiah onto the throne in Jerusalem expecting him to keep the Israelites in check and pay their taxes. However, after about 10 years, Zedekiah, the puppet king, revolted against Babylon and sought an alliance with Egypt to secure independence once again for Jerusalem. To say Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was unimpressed would be an understatement, and in 587, 10 years after the initial invasion, the Babylonians swept back in to destroy Jerusalem and its temple, and to carry much of the rest of the population of the city into exile in Babylon. This is a story of invasion, people displacement, war and violence. And so among the ruins of Jerusalem, Jeremiah the prophet wrote a letter to the exiles in Babylon. He had been counselling King Zedekiah, the puppet king, to submit to Babylon, but he had been ignored. And so then he wrote to those who had been deported with a similar and perhaps surprising message. He told them not to rebel, not to seek to harm their enemies in the Babylonians. Rather, he said that they should seek the welfare of the city where God had sent them. Those who had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon were told to seek the welfare 
of the city to which they had been exiled. And there's a key point here that I think we need to hear very clearly if we're get, going to get to grips with what it means for us to live faithfully in our world. The key point is this. None of us should ever think of ourselves as natives. We are all, theologically speaking at least, exiles. Some of us here this morning are in a very real sense exiles, having had to leave our home countries and come to London to escape war. I can look around the congregation now and think of people for whom that is really true. Theologically, those of us who were born and brought up in this country are also invited to think of ourselves as exiles. Because for all of us, wherever we were born, our true eternal home is the kingdom of God. Our only king is Christ. We proclaimed this last week at the feast of Christ the King. And all our other homes, all other rulers, are secondary and temporal. They may be long-term, but they are not permanent. Theologically speaking, we are all exiles. But this does not mean that we should seek the downfall or destruction of the place to which we have been exiled. The theologian William Williman uses the phrase resident aliens to describe the people of God in the world. He says we are not to think of ourselves in terms of being part of this tribe or that tribe, but rather as being a people with a different higher allegiance that leads us to work for the good of the whole world. Listen to this quote, he says, we reject the charge of tribalism, particularly from those whose theologies serve to buttress the most nefarious brand of tribalism of all, the omnipotent state. The church is the one political entity in our culture that is global, transnational, transcultural. Tribalism is not the church determined to serve God rather than Caesar. Tribalism is any political state which sets up artificial boundaries and defends them with murderous intensity. Now, I don't know where the Brexit project is going to take us, but it just strikes me that the trend in our world at the moment to fragment ourselves back down into tribes is more likely to lead towards violence than not, eventually. And the church has a role in this. We are transcultural, we are transnational, we are global. Christians span the globe and all of us, whatever country we live in, owe our primary allegiance to King Jesus. And that alters the way in which we live in this world. It's often said that the definition of being a Londoner is simply being someone who lives in London, regardless of where you were actually born and raised. There is a tension here. I am Simon from Sevenoaks, but I am also Simon the Londoner. And I think that this tension of being both an integral part of the city, but also significantly distinct from it, 
is at the heart of what Jeremiah is trying to say to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Babylon is now their home, but it is not their ultimate place of belonging. Their eternal home, their place of deepest belonging, was in their holy city of Jerusalem. But the place where they were going to have to live out the rest of their lives was Babylon. And so their calling before God was to work for the good of the city to which they had been sent as exiles. And we too need to hear this calling. There is a lamentable history of Christians disengaging from society, retreating into their holy huddles to focus on the purity of their worship and the correctness of their doctrine. And the Jews in Babylon could so easily have taken this path. But this was not, said Jeremiah, their calling, and neither is it ours. It is entirely appropriate for the people of God to enter the world of politics, whether through election or through non-partisan organizations such as Citizens UK. It is our calling to seek the welfare of the city and the country to which we have been sent as exiles. But there is a flip side to this too. For all of our calling to work for the good of the city, we must never lose sight of the fact that we are only ever here as exiles. If some strands of Christianity have disengaged from seeking the welfare of society in their quest for moral and doctrinal purity, others have gone to the opposite extreme and have sought to create society in their own image. The legacy of Christendom, with the church and state fused into one entity, is still very much with us. And I think that those of us who seek to be faithful followers of Christ in this country, in this city, need to resist the temptation of longing for a return to the so-called Christian country of previous generations. As Baptists, we were founded on the principle of freedom of religion for all. Our founding father, Thomas Helwes, argued against the idea of a Christian country. He faced imprisonment for writing to the king, daring to suggest that the freedom to choose one's religion was an essential human right. And he said that it should be for all, whether Baptist, Muslim or Jew. A key outworking of understanding ourselves as exiles in this world is that we are called to be never fully at home, never fully at one with the city, society and culture to which we have been called. Even as we work for its welfare, even as we pray for it, we are not to see ourselves as 100% part of it. Our King is King Jesus. Our home is the kingdom of God, eternally speaking. But we need to hear Jeremiah's injunction that in the welfare of the city, we will find our own welfare. We have to recover or possibly discover our identity as the people of God, not in a way that isolates us from others and certainly not in a way that gives us permission to dominate others, but in a way that frees us to live differently according to the priorities of the kingdom of God. And what we also need to discover is that this freedom is a freedom to truly live, to enter into the life of the world 
to build houses, plant gardens, to take action for the common good. As Stanley Howarth puts it in the same book, Resident Aliens, he says, the loss of Christendom gives us a joyous opportunity to reclaim the freedom to proclaim the gospel in a way which we cannot when the main social task of the church is to serve as one of the many helpful props for the state. I've always been quite cynical of the big society project of wanting to offload social care back onto charities and religious institutions. That just feels like a reinvention of Christendom by another name, if you ask me. And so we come to the most famous verse from Jeremiah chapter 29, the one which has starred on a thousand fridge magnets and coffee cups. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Well, this surely is the ultimate expression of ultimate faithful hope. To those in exile, to those living in darkness, to those who feel they will never truly belong, God says through Jeremiah that there is a hopeful future. But this verse of hopeful promise has to be heard alongside the command to work for the good of the city to which we have been sent in exile. It is not some get-out-of-jail-free card to be cashed in when things get difficult. It isn't an excuse to abdicate our responsibility for our actions in the world, just thinking, well, that's fine, God will sort it for us. Rather, it is an invitation to enter into a way of living in this world where we are free from the deep existential worries that beset those whose lives are judged by the prevailing standards of society because we are not judged in the same way. Stanley Harwas again, he says, that which makes the church radical and forever new is not that the church tends to lean towards the left on most social issues, but rather that the church knows Jesus, whereas the world does not. In the church's view, the political left is, left is not noticeably more interesting than the political right. Both sides tend towards solutions that act as if the world has not ended and begun in Jesus. Jesus does not call us to be Marxist. Jesus does not call us to be communist. Jesus does not call us to be right-wing. Jesus calls us to something else altogether because we start from a different place and we end in a different place. And that place is the kingdom of heaven where our citizenship resides and our king is King Jesus. Those of us who are exiles in this world, who live as resident aliens in our society, are invited to discover the freedom that comes from not having to answer to the demands of the world. The pressures that drive so many people, pressures of militarism, materialism, economic exploitation, the pressures that oppress so many people, pressures of racism, sexism, and homophobia, these pressures do not own us. And therefore, neither do they ultimately constrain us. Because we are judged not as the world judges, but by Christ who loves us. So to those of us who live as exiles in this strange land, called to work for its welfare but never to let it own us, Jesus echoes the message of Jeremiah. 
offering a word of hope, a word of peace. We heard it earlier in our reading from John's Gospel, where Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Through Christ, we receive the gift of hope. Through Christ, we are gifted the gift of peace. Through Christ, we are released from the troubles and fears that drive so many to acts of hopeless self-destruction and violence towards others. As we work for the welfare of the city to which we have been sent in exile, we can discover within ourselves the capacity, to, the capacity to love, the capacity to hope, the capacity to embody peace, because these are the gifts of Christ to us, and through us they are Christ's gift to the world. So as we welcome the stranger, advocate for the dispossessed, include the excluded, we are living into being the truth that Christ has planted deep in our hearts. That in Christ there are no strangers. In Christ none are excluded. In Christ all are worthy of equality. This is the gift of hope and it is ours to receive and it is ours to give as we pray and work for the welfare of the city and society to which we have been sent in exile. Amen. I think listening to what Simon said, it seemed to me there was so much about balance that's needed as we think about these things. There's twin dangers on either side. There's the danger of disengaging from society. I've been in a church where we said, we'll have nothing to do with society. Society's just gone to the dogs, let's just concentrate on doing what we do. You know, it's a modern form of monasticism, really, without the, the social justice that, that monks and monasteries were often involved in. And on the other side, you have those who try to dominate society. We often hear about the Christian right in America and how they want to control all the laws and change the laws to make them suitable to them. And, and, of course, I think the truth should be in between the two. And I think a, a lot of what Simon said is about that balance. So I wonder, perhaps if I can pick on, pick on you two, what, what, what thoughts did you have on what Simon said today? For me... Is it in the middle? Do I need to...? Yes, for me, the theme of belonging was resonating very much because we belong neither here nor there, but still we, ha we have to engage wherever we are. And uh, coming from France and being set in London, I mean, uh, we engage in the place where we are and we are not, uh, uh, we have to engage where we are. And also the thing that um, is the freedom that gives us not to um, being grounded in these uh, words of Jesus, to not to comply with what's around us, but to act out of generosity and love and compassion as we are instructed. So I think this is our place to do it. 
I was struck by the notion that we are all exiles. Um, and Simon meant it in a spiritual way. We are also a little bit all exiles on, on this earth because this sense that you know, we are from here and they are not is what leads to this tribalism. It's what's leading to closed border. It's what's leading to the sheer inhumanity in which we are treating people. And I think this unsettled feeling of we are all part of this world uh, points to interdependence. It's not us and them, it's, it's all of us. And I think the, the COVID crisis shows that just yet again, you know, it's all very well to be all safe and vaccinated here. If it's not all of us, it's nobody. It's the same for the climate crisis. You know, if, if we're not protecting the forests in the equatorial world, then, you know, we, we're not gonna be able to, to deal with the climate crisis in the way we, we do. And so this is pointing at our responsibility as citizens to, you know, in the way we vote or in the way we consume, to, to think not just about our little island here, but about the global world. Mm. Thank you. Yes, uh, on COVID, I was very much struck by uh, former Prime Minister Gordon Brown, who has spoken out a lot about COVID and spoke out very early on saying we need to share the vaccine. And he was on this week saying perhaps if we had shared the vaccine in Southern Africa more, this, this new variation might not have taken hold there quite so much. But yes, that's an important point. Thank you. Um, Jeff, do you have anything to say? I had a couple of things that came up. A couple of stories from the early 70s. I was at a hustings on Turnham Green. This was when Willie Brandt was proposing a 1% GDP for foreign aid. I asked the candidate about this at the hustings. And what surprised me was the hostility in the crowd wasn't voiced, it was palpable. And then there's... Um, same early 70s, Dory Previn had a song in which she paraphrased the poem at the Statue of Liberty. Give me your poor, your sad and your busted. Pause, give me your blacklisted. Lifting that out of the McCarthyite oppression of the American left wing, we might rephrase that last part to give me your rejected, which comes up to date on Friday, I was talking to two of the leaders at Sunningdale Baptist and said that we should put the refugees on the ferries and process them on this side of the channel. Christianity, as well as Judaism and Islam, preaches to welcome the stranger. So I was slightly surprised to get a similar pushback as I experienced at Turnham Green. This sort of exposes a dilemma that is probably most prevalent in left-wing political parties, how much to pursue your vision and calling versus how much to sacrifice in the pursuit of votes and power to do what you can. You can see something similar in Pilgrim's Progress as Christian climbs to the celestial city, rejecting some of the attractive options on the way. There is some contrast with Jesus working with publicans and sinners versus the Pharisees' pursuit 
of doctrinal purity. We confront this dilemma, not as a single decision, but issue by issue. Thank you, yes. Roseanne. Um, I think it's been another very tough week listening to the news. It's just, it's hard to see. It, it's just, it's just hard. Um, I think every week I, I listen and every week there's a, a glimmer of hope and every week there's that reiteration that there is love and that there is peace. And I think I, I cling to that so that I can then try and keep keep that hope so that I can try and keep going. Do you know what I mean? That if if I feel that I'm held in love and that I've got some peace, if I can then work to share that with others who are, are struggling more uh, and, and spread that feeling of love, I, I just, I, I have to try because not trying um, um, would just be devastating, I think. Very much so. I think it's easy to become overwhelmed, isn't it? I feel overwhelmed. You see all these things happening. You think, well, what, what can I do? What, what difference can I do? And we feel we can't make much of a difference, but we can make a difference in the corner where we are. And we can make a difference by speaking to those and trying to hold power to account. Speak to Simon about London citizens and find out what you can do to make a difference. A lot of little candles can become a very strong light. And I think, um, you know, in these difficult times, we need to keep hold of hope, don't we? That's the message I heard this morning, you know. Where there's hope, there's life, to turn the saying round. And we need to take each piece of hope and try to live as, as a hopeful people. And now in the season of Advent, may we remember with thanks the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas tide. May we remember with awe his death on the cross, with joy his resurrection and with hope, his second coming. He who testifies these things says, surely I will come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. <laughs>